The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-14. through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elijah, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, John. Hey, good morning. It is so great to worship God together. My name is Josiah and I do serve on staff at Christ Pres. I'm the director of the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. And this is our ministry that helps folks across the city really think theologically about who God is and what our work means as a result of how God has revealed himself to us in scripture. And we really aim to equip people to engage the places God has called them vocationally as part of his mission 
It's been so fun to get to know folks here in this community. My wife, Brittany, and I, like Stacy said, we've worshiped with you all at Music Row a few times before, and we always enjoy being here. When I moved to Nashville in February, Stacy and Aaron are some of the first folks on our staff at Christ Pres who really made an effort to get to know me, took me out for burritos, and as I've been here at Music Row, I have seen that the warmth and the welcome that they showed me has really become a common element of the culture of this worshiping body. And so I'm so uh, just inspired by the way that you all are so eager to welcome one another as Christ welcomes each of us and drawing others to experience something of his love through the way you interact with one another on a Sunday morning and, and not being able to stay quiet during the time of greeting. And so this week we are wrapping up our series in Elijah. First and Second Kings, this series called Extraordinary Power Through Ordinary People. And as you heard, today's uh, title was Chariots of Fire. And I wanted to cue some of that inspirational music as I hobbled on stage in my orthopedic boot, but we weren't able to get it queued up. As you heard a moment ago, it's this dramatic scene of the prophet Elijah's grand exit as he ascends into heaven with chariots and horses of fire. And I think this is a miraculous moment that we've just heard that takes place. But what I hope we'll see in today's teaching is that as much as this is a special moment for Elijah and Elisha, whose names I'm sure will get confusing as we say them uh, in close proximity together throughout this message, I really think this is a story that can give us some encouragement and direction as well in our own journey of faith. And so I want to pray for us as we dig into God's word together. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for your presence among us today. And, and we don't take for granted the opportunity to dig into your word. We thank you that you are a God who has made himself known. The eternal God of the universe who created all things has revealed himself to us. And we thank you that through your spirit, you can speak to us now in a powerful way. God, would you captivate our attention in the midst of all the things we have going on in our lives? Would you speak to us in a way in our hearts and in our minds that would be transformative, that we would be people who serve you and love you with our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we engage with today's text, I want to look at three different themes that emerge from the passage. The first is the impact of a godly mentor. The second is the necessity for ministry to be spirit-empowered. And the third is the promise of eternity with God. The promise of eternity with God. But first, I think we need to catch up to speed a little bit on where we are in this series. A little bit of background that'll help us make sense of today's story. Two weeks ago, if you were here in worship, you heard of Elijah, this moment where he's fled to the wilderness of Horeb. He's dealing with exhaustion and depression in his ministry, following a moment of confrontation with the prophets of Baal. So his life is under threat. He flees to the wilderness and he finds himself alone and feeling helpless, but God encounters him in a profound way in that time and ministers to his spirit through an angel of the Lord in a life-giving way. And then last week we heard the story of Elijah speaking judgment over Israel's King Ahab, this idolatrous man who's led the nation astray along with his wife Jezebel. And now, not only for their idolatry are they receiving these words of judgment, but they've also found a way to steal a field from a man named Naboth. They've, they've murdered him in order to steal his land. But in the surprise of all surprises, Ahab actually is convicted of his sin and he repents when Elijah calls him to it. And, and so this is really a story that shows us God's ability to work in, in anyone's life. And the reason I give us this background is to help us find a little bit of location. The prophet Elisha 
comes onto the scene somewhere in between these two stories. And today, as we come into the second chapter of, or pardon me, the, the second chapter of Second Kings, we find this story of Elisha receiving this torch to be the prophetic minister to the nation of Israel as a successor to Elijah. And so how did these guys come to, come to interact? Well, Elijah received a word from the Lord coming out of the wilderness of Horeb that he was to anoint Elisha as his prophetic successor. And so he finds Elisha farming. In, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we could find this story. Elisha is farming. He's out plowing a field with 12 teams of oxen. He's driving one of those teams himself. When Elijah comes to him in the field, he places a cloak around his shoulders, his own cloak, this symbol of the prophet's power and authority from God. And so Elijah calls Elisha to leave his life behind and follow him as his servant. And so Elisha, he responds in a dramatic way. He slaughters his oxen, he burns his plowing equipment, and he throws a barbecue. He barbecues the meat on the plowing equipment to feed the whole community. Sounds like a scene out of Oregon Trail, right? Anybody play that video game as a kid? So Elijah, he leaves it all behind, this comfortable life he's built, a sure career path, a level of success even that would have been easy for the people in his community to envy. He leaves it all behind, a community that, that knew him, that he belonged in. All of this he leaves behind to follow Elijah as his servant, this prophet that he'd never even met. And this is a really big move. It's a really big move. Why do you think it is that Elijah, and pardon me, why do you think it is that Elisha accepted Elijah's invitation rather than dismiss him as a kook when this prophet came and put a cloak around his shoulders? Why do you think he made the decision to follow him? You know, this isn't spelled out overtly in the passage, but I think we can safely assume that Elijah's response here is one of obedience because it lined up with a stirring from God that he had been experiencing in his own life, one that he'd been sensing himself. And so when Elijah came to him with this invitation to learn from him and to do life with him, it lined up with a stirring from God. Elisha himself had already been sensing to call his people, the people of Israel, back to God to worship the one in whom life was truly found. And so when Elijah came and asked Elisha to follow him, what would have seemed like a crazy decision to some, to Elisha, this, this is a question that had already been answered for him some time ago. Of course he was going to go. And in this moment, God used the invitation of a godly mentor to help him take the first step. And so what we see on display here in, in this truth we see in the pages of Scripture and in, in this story and in, in many other places that, is that God delights in using his people as part of his work in one another's lives. God delights in using his people as part of his work in one another's lives. That we would be equipped to know God and to serve him through doing life together and helping one another learn about what it looks like to live out this journey of faith and, and to serve God with the gifts and abilities that he's given us. 
And in this passage, we see Elisha accept this invitation to come and, and learn from another's example, his teaching and his guidance, and to even cut his teeth in ministry himself and receive the support from his friend along the way. And again, we do see this throughout the pages of Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament, in the stories of Moses and, and Joshua, Mordecai and Esther. We see it in the New, stories of Paul and Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. God delights in using his people to help one another along in, in this journey of faith and to inspire and, and help one another through guidance and support in, in our service to God with the gifts, abilities, and opportunities that he's given us. As I look back on my own story, I feel a lot of gratitude for the people who've played this kind of role in my life. And I imagine you can think of people who have played a similar role in your own story, whether that's just beginning your journey with Jesus or if, if it's one you've been on for a long time. I think back on a season of my life when I was fresh out of college, I was working in a university setting as a graduate assistant coach, and I was feeling a draw towards ministry. I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with my pastor, uh, a man named John, and we would sit at Panera Bread and I would drink lemonades and we'd talk about life and faith and distance running, one of my great passions that, that we shared, he and I as well. That's why I'm in this orthopedic boot. It's been a common part of my story as a distance runner. And throughout these conversations, John, he really encouraged me and he, he challenged me to take steps of action in the way that I sense God drawing me in my heart to serve him vocationally in the church. And he, he affirmed me, man, I can see that God's calling you to ministry. That makes a lot of sense. He gave me opportunities to lead, opportunities to preach. And honestly, at the time, it felt like he believed in me a whole lot more than I believed in myself. I can think of other people who've played that role in my life through different seasons, friends, family members. They encouraged me, gave me godly perspective on the things I was experiencing, and they helped me to take steps. God used all those people in shaping me, informing me to serve him the ways that I am today. Who are the people who have played that role for you in your own life? Those people, they mean so much to us. And I think part of the reason why those people mean so much to us is an element that we see in this story with the relationship between Elijah and Elisha today. And it's this, it's one thing for you and I to feel a sense of calling ourselves that God has drawn us and he's gifted us to serve in, in one way or another, right? It's one way to feel that ourselves, but it is something exponentially more powerful for someone else who knows us to say, you know what, I can see that God is calling you in that too. I see that God has gifted you. I see that he's working in your heart and he's aligning the circumstances of your life for you to take a step out. And I believe that you can do it. That's something exponentially more powerful, right? When someone believes in us and they would help us to take that first step. As I was reading through this story, I think something else that's really cool for you and I can, to consider is that each of us can be this person to someone else, this godly mentor who we can look down the road and they may tell stories about the influence we've been able to, to have in their life as a result of our own trust in, in God giving us the opportunity to speak into them. And it may be something as simple as inviting someone to coffee or sitting down at their table at Kava after the service just to talk about life and faith and to begin to build a friendship. Something as simple as that can be part of God's work in a person's life that, that he uses to mature them in faith, to equip them for a life of service. 
And all of that can have a ripple effect into families and workplaces and communities. And that can even have a generational impact. Each of us have the opportunity to be that kind of person for others. And God, he absolutely delights in using us to help one another along in our journey of faith. Something as simple as an invitation for a walk or a coffee, a drink can have that effect in someone else's life. As we move on in this story, the next theme that we're going to look at is the necessity for ministry to be self-empowered. Part, pardon me, not to be self-empowered, but to be spirit-empowered. And this really emerges as we come to the part in the story where Elijah is, is taken up into heaven and Elisha is, is coming to him and asking him for this anointing as his prophetic successor. And, and what we need to know is that Bible scholars estimate that this episode where Elijah is taken up into heaven, it occurs around six years after the invitation to Elisha to follow him and, and be mentored takes place. So this is six years down the road and a lot occurs over that time they share together. Elisha follows his mentor through several significant moments for the nation of Israel. Two transitions of power, some intense ministry moments along the way, continuing to call new idolatrous kings back to God. And as we come to today's story, this passage, it begins with this sort of announcement of an open secret, right? We don't receive any indication leading up to this that Elijah is going to be taken up to whirlwind in a, up to heaven in a whirlwind. But as we dig into this text, it seems that everyone knows this is going to take place. Elijah knows it. Elisha knows it. And so do these other prophets who show up at the different stages of the journey. And so these two men, they travel together from town to town. In the story we heard read by John a few moments ago, three times they come to pause in their journey before their final destination along the Jordan River. And with each stop, Elijah asks his successor to stay behind. And each time, Elisha refuses. He refuses each time. And he has his reasons, first of all, being that he's devoted to his mentor. Elisha's walked with him this whole season of ministry, and he wants to be faithful in supporting the one God had called him to serve down to the very last moment. That's certainly true. But as we look at this story, we see there's a second motivation here, and it's that Elisha wants to stay close to his mentor to ensure that he would be the one to receive Elijah's final nod to be his successor and then receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit that would then follow in turn. And so as we come to the end of their journey in the story along the banks of the Jordan, Elisha, again, he, he takes off his cloak, this gesture that began their journey together. He takes off his cloak and what does he do? He rolls it up and then touches it to the water. Very similar to Moses with the, the parting of the Red Sea. He touches it to the water and, and cleaves out this clear path for the men to walk to the other side. The moment has come. And so Elijah, he asks his protege, what can I do for you before I go? And what's Elisha's request of his mentor? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And so what is Elisha asking for here? Is he asking for twice Elisha's, Elijah's spiritual powers? He's saying, hey, the, each generation should be better than next. Can I have twice the power that you do, the, the miracles that I would be able to carry on? That's not it. Actually, in the Jewish inheritance laws, it was the eldest son who inherited a double portion of the father's estate. And so while Elisha is asking 
for this blessing of the Holy Spirit to come and fill him, to empower him for ministry. This is more of a result that would take place as a result of being anointed as a prophetic successor rather than simply an ask for the Holy Spirit himself. And so Elijah tells him, if you see me when I ascend into heaven, if you're able to see me as I, as I rise, then you'll know that this will be yours. And as you heard, this is exactly how things unfold as Elijah, he's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. His successor watches him ascend and Elijah's cloak, it drops to the ground. And so Elisha, he picks it up. Once he's gathered himself from the grief of this goodbye to a man who meant so much to him for his own investment into his journey with God, he picks up his cloak and he walks back to the river. And what does he do? He rolls it up. He strikes the water with the cloak, just as he'd seen his mentor do. And the water parts before him and he walks across. You couldn't script it out better for a movie. And if you and I want a display of the absolute necessity, the absolute necessity for ministry to be spirit empowered, we don't need to look any further than this. Because Elisha, he knew that if he was going to carry on the prophetic ministry of, success, of his successor, there was no way that this is something he could manufacture on his own. The power that filled Elijah, if this was going to be possible for his own life, it would only take place through the filling of the Spirit. So if God wasn't with him, if God wasn't in him, there's no way that he could call the kings to account for idolatry. There's no way he could confront their prophets on his own. It was going to be a short career for Elisha as a professor on his own without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wasn't a beneficial add-on for his service to God, but an absolute necessity. How does that line up with our own attitudes toward the Holy Spirit? You know, there's an author whose work I enjoy. He's a man named Jack Miller. Jack Miller was a Presbyterian pastor. He's, he's long passed away. A few years ago, I read a book of his called The Heart of a Servant Leader that chronicles different letters that he wrote throughout his time and ministry that was put together after his death. And in one of the sections of the book, it shares about a formative moment in Jack's life when this concept we're talking about became very real to him. There was a season in his ministry career where he dealt with burnout and an extended sense of frustration that the church he was pastoring and the seminary he was, he was leading in, that the, the students and the people in his church, they just weren't experiencing God and changing in the ways that he'd really hoped. And he felt like he didn't have what he needed to help them. And so Jack took a sabbatical from ministry and moved to Spain with his family. That's what we all do and we're frustrated in our jobs, right? And so Jack, he took this sabbatical and, and he shares honestly in the book that he spent several of his first weeks there very depressed. But over that season, he felt a sense of conviction about his approach to serving God. And first, he came to understand that he'd been motivated by personal glory and the approval of people rather than motivated only for God's glory in his ministry. And the second conviction he came to feel is that he'd really been trusting in his own abilities to accomplish the work that God had called him to rather than trusting God's promises and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so a real turning point came for Jack when he realized that his motivation for ministry had been entirely wrong. He'd been relying on the wrong person himself. 
And so Jack writes about this. I came to see that I relied heavily, almost entirely on my own mind as a Christian thinker and on my own hard work as a pastor. Prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit were dispensable supplements for my ministry and my own pride and self-reliance were keeping me from having a significant part in the greater work of Christ. I came to see that doing Christ's work involved doing it Christ's way. And this meant giving up all dependence on myself. Isn't it so easy for you and I to limit ourselves in our own humanity, to rely on ourselves for work that's far too big for us to accomplish? What we hear in Jack's story, what we see in this passage is that maybe that sense of lacking that we feel internally, that we don't have what it takes, maybe that sense of lacking is actually a gracious gift from God to us that we would turn back to the one in whom power is truly found. Power to serve him, power to to live our lives in such a way that would point others towards the transforming nature of his grace in our vocations and our families and all those places that God has called us to serve in our communities. Maybe our own awareness that we don't have what it takes on our own is really a gift from a gracious God who wants to point us to where strength is truly found to rely on him and to experience his provision through the spirit. Because I think for each and every one of us who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves in different moments hoping that the spirit will show up, right? Merely hoping for the presence of the spirit. And I think there are some really consistent themes that God has woven into our service here today. And one of this is the presence of the Spirit for us. When we're followers of Jesus Christ, this isn't something that we merely hope in. This is something we can expect. This is something we can count on. And I've had a friend and a mentor in my own life really encourage me in this recently with that very question. Josiah, are you hoping for the Holy Spirit to show up on a daily basis? Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to show up? There's a really big difference between those two perspectives, right? The good news of scripture is that followers of Jesus Christ, each and every one of us who've received his grace, we can count on him to be with us. The spirit is our constant comforter and advocate. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He's a deposit of our future with God in eternity. He empowers us for service to him, that the whole world would know something about the power and ability of God. We don't have to do life on our own. The Holy Spirit doesn't work part-time. He's with us always. We can count on him. So may you and I live with that perspective of expectancy rather than just hope, knowing that the Holy Spirit is truly God with us and he is in us in all that we experience. So may we be people who are are guided by that in our everyday life, that we wouldn't be people of functional unbelief who rely on ourselves, but that we would be people who truly rely on the presence and power of God with us and the Holy Spirit each and every day. That's something we see so clearly here, the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit to show up and empower us if we're going to be the people who God has called us to be in the places where we serve. The last theme in this passage I'd I'd love for us to focus on is the promise of eternity with God. The promise of eternity with God. And we see this in a really cool way in this teaching here today. Elijah, he's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind with chariots of fire, horses of fire appearing. It's a real Hunger Games moment, this display we see. It's a symbol of God's power used throughout the Old Testament. This scene we have of the chariots and horses of fire, the power of God, the true strength of the nation of Israel. 
And as Elijah, he rises to be with God in eternity immediately in his presence. We, we have to acknowledge this is an absolutely incredible display and a miraculous event that takes place. Only one other place in the Old Testament do we see this occur. This is in Genesis chapter 5. You may remember the story of Enoch. There's a, a, a word in the original Hebrew that means to take. And this is the only other place in the Old Testament we see it when Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 the author writes that he walked with God and he had a special closeness with God for the whole 365 years of his life until God took him away to be with him. God took him away to be with him after 365 years. That's really all the detail we get in the story of, of Enoch. And let's be honest, these are really obscure stories of someone being alive and immediately ushered into God's presence, right? This is not the way that people coming into God's presence typically works, if you're, if you're familiar with that. And so what's going on here? Why do you think God chose to spare these two men physical death and take them immediately into his presence? How do we make sense of these stories? Are they just a recollection of a miraculous moment that was really special for these two guys, a, a twice in history blessing? Or is there something that you and I can be encouraged by here as well? I think the best explanation for this story of Elijah being taken up into heaven, as well as the story of Enoch, is that as much as these two men experienced the blessing of God in a special way by being spared death, this blessing that they receive actually foreshadows the promise of new life in eternity with God that can belong to each of us through faith in Jesus and, and sharing in his resurrection. Because these stories, they're not ultimately about this special blessing of, of two men being spared death. They're all spared death. They're ultimately about the blessing of God and the blessing of life with God in eternity that can be received by the many. Because the great hope of the Christian faith is that each of us who would identify ourselves with Jesus personally through repentance, each of us that we would identify ourselves with his death on the cross through repentance and faith, that we would also share in his resurrection life and experience life in eternity with him and the presence of God. And I want to say there's something I absolutely love about this church and that this is a community where we value people at all different places of their journey of faith. First time seekers and skeptics, people asking questions and exploring. This is a place where we're all welcome and we can come and, and we can take part and, and kick the tires and learn as we go. If you're here and you're in that season, we're so glad you're here. But I hope you've seen this as well, that we're a community that's honest, that we believe that answers are out there and that truth can be found in the pages of God's word. And these are answers that are real and they're unique as it relates to the biggest questions of life. And just a few weeks ago, I heard this quote from the theologian, John Whitfleet. He speaks these words, the whole purpose for the gathering of the church is to prepare people to face their death. The whole purpose for the gathering of the church is to prepare people to face their death. And that's a really intense statement, right? That's a really intense statement about the role and the responsibility of the church. But it struck me. Death is a universal problem that we all have to solve in our own, our own hearts and minds at one point or another. 
And the message that we proclaim here in the Christian worldview is, is that we've found a one of a kind answer for it. But ultimately the answer we have is that that truth has found us, that Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is seeking each and every one of us. He's the first seeker. He seeks each of us because he loves us. The God who made us knows us and he wants to draw our hearts back to himself to receive his love and experience eternity and perfect fellowship with him and one another. And that promise of eternity with God that's crystal clear in today's story that we see on display is that each and every one of us, whatever we face in life or even in death, when our hope is in Jesus Christ, that is a hope that will only be fulfilled in the life to come, that, that we will meet joy, that we will meet God face to face and experience his presence in a way that will be a reward. And so my friends, each of us who have that hope as our own, I wanna encourage you, we live in a world where so many people are seeking answers, where so many people are seeking a hope that lasts beyond what anything this world will ever be able to provide. And so may you and I be attentive to the opportunities that God puts in front of us. Because each of us, we have opportunities in the place that God calls us in our work, in our families, our neighborhoods, communities, the places we hang out. God sends us by his spirit to each of those places. We have opportunities to engage his mission in those places God has called us. So may we be people who are ready at each moment to give an account for the hope that we have found. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the way that you direct us to yourself. We are grateful for the way that you encourage us. God, we thank you that you're the first mentor, that you're the one who draws us to, to learn and know and receive life from you, that you call us into your grace. God, we thank you for the truth that each one of us who have set our hope in your son, that we receive your spirit as a gift, as a, as a deposit of our life with you in eternity. And God, would we never take you for granted? Would we lean into the, the provision of your spirit in every day of our lives? And, and God, as we think about the opportunities you've put in front of us in the days that we have on this earth to be people who would invest in your eternal purposes and in the world and in people's lives, would you fill us each day that we would be effective ambassadors of the one who brings life from death, that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Josiah. You know, what's awesome about concluding a series like this is you see over time, Elijah's life pointed. It's called, it's actually a theological term. He's a type of Christ. He was a type of, of, of someone pointing to a Messiah, his life, the way, even the events of his life being taken up. Uh, the way that the Lord interacted with him, his being a mediator between the God and the people of Israel. But you know what this table tells us? It's that Elijah's life just didn't point to Jesus, is that Elijah looked to Jesus. He himself was looking to the one who he himself couldn't defeat death. I mean, think about that. The difference between Elijah being taken up into heaven and the chariots of fire in his life, in his uh, before death. But Jesus was taken up into heaven after he defeated death. And that's what this table tells us. This table is incredible because it shows us that Jesus did what Elijah never could do and what Elijah was looking forward to, that he would give himself, that, that the Lord himself came in Christ 
to give his body and blood so that his spirit that you heard talked about, which is, I know, a huge thing that we, it's hard to grab your, wrap your mind around, but that God, it means God is active. It means when you come forward to take this table that you're not the only one being active, it's that he is active actually in you to change you, even in the moments when you don't think he is, because his spirit is in you. And that's what Jesus is doing. And when you leave this table, Jesus is not still on the ground. He's actually active in heaven right now because when he was taken up and defeated death, he stood at the right hand of God and continues to be there speaking on your behalf. So even when you leave and your mind is wandering and mine is too, and we go about our Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and we just continue going, Jesus is continually speaking your name to God the Father to say, this is my daughter, this is my son. That's what this table is. This table is set not by me, it's not by uh, Christ Prez, it's Jesus's table, which means if you're here this morning, and even as Josiah mentioned, you're kind of going, okay, I think it's great stories. This is great to think about. Don't, don't come forward and take it just because everybody else is. Uh, that, let's have integrity with that for your own soul and heart just to think through it and ask the questions. Either come forward and, and, and join us in the semicircles and fold your hands and receive a benediction or, um, <clears throat> or just remain in your seat and contemplate it. Ask the question. That, that's really genuineness, right? That's being real about asking, is this, is this really what I believe in or who I follow? And if you are here this morning, and you would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I got all sorts of questions. Amen. <laughs> I don't have all the answers. But this table is for fellow strugglers. This table is for people who don't have all the answers, but know that Jesus is the one who does. And, and, and just like Elijah, and you know why we call it extraordinary people, ordinary people? You know, that whole extraordinary, ordinary kind of language? I can't even remember the title. I'm not, and I speak for a living. Um, but you know why? Because Elijah is just like us. Even the New Testament says that. That Elijah was a man in nature just like you and me. And needed this table as much as you and I do. Because he was a fellow struggler. Amen? Amen.